Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Oh, I just went out and it was lovely. You know what? I got myself a salad sandwich from the bakery. Yum. I went to the I went to the dog park and I ate said salad sandwich. <laughs> Say that. Say that. And I ate said salad sandwich. <laughs> Say that. <laughs> I ate said salad sandwich. <laughs> How good a salad sandwich. <laughs> salad, salad sandwiches are so good. They're nearly as good as scones. <laughs> Welcome to Chick Three. This is the infamous, famous Annie Potatoes, joined by the not so well known Evie (laughs) Jones. But Infamous, but infamous. I love that you made yourself infamous and famous. Oh, oh yin and yang, thank oh, you. But all this and a bit of good is a little bit of evil, and all evil is a little bit of good. That's me, Annie Potatoes. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Um, guess what? Oh, what? I think I found our youngest listener. <gasps> what? How young are we talking? Like a teen? Let me play you something. Okay. Didn't have this all set up, did you? Well, cut all this. Couldn't out. have. Oh no, I did. Have actually. This ready to go? I did. <laughs> I did. I don't know where it's gone though. Dun, dun, oh, that's dun, 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 thinking music. We'll be back shortly after this. Okay, you ready? Break. What did you just ask, though? What is stick cheese? What is stick cheese? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Did you just hear that on the podcast? Yes. (laughs) Whoops. So that's Angus. He's four. Angus. He's four. Oh no, Angus. Yeah. So so you've got to explain yourself. Yeah. Dick cheese is. You know, that stuff that you get if you don't clean your penis properly, Angus. And you know what mummy always says? Clean your penis properly. So thank you for listening to us, Angus. I think you're wonderful for listening to Chickstree and you're yep. going to be the coolest guy in the world. Right? Starting them you know, young. I love yes, it. starting them young. Look at that young feminist. Religious. Yes. What, what's his mum's name? Uh, his mum's name's Ash. Okay. Ash? If you're listening, what did you say? <laughs> did you explain what dick cheese is? It's something you don't want to eat. Oh, oh we're sorry. We're sorry. Yeah, we are sorry. We're, which makes me think perhaps we should put a warning on the front of this yeah. and say that we do talk about some pretty gross yeah. things. Might not yeah. be suitable for children. So if you've got little ones yeah, listening. Look, and it, it's up to you if you want them to hear it or not. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly. your parenting choice. I think that's we okay swear like for him and Angus. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? It's nothing that Angus, I'm sure, hasn't heard before. Just like many children, they've all heard a bit of whoopsie woo woos. Yes. So who cares? Who gives a shit? 
Whoopsie not me. Words. Not me. Hey, and just to follow on That's from so cute. The, an audio prop, I've got another audio prop for you. I need your help in um, identifying mm. this animal. I need our listeners' help in identifying oh, this animal. Where did the sound come from? How? What is this? I recorded it. I recorded this at 4 a.m. Oh, okay. This is at your house. Yes. This. So you've moved into a new place. So this is a new yeah. noise for you. Oh, my God. And you don't know what it is. No. And I it, already know what it is. Do I already you? know what it is. But what is go. It? I'm going to say it's a possum mating you, or fighting. I've heard, I've heard that, but just, just. Wrap your ears around this. (laughs) I know exactly what that is. What is that? That is Is a a rat running on a on a mice wheel. It's not. It's a it's coming from a from a larynx. It's yeah, it's a possum. Is it? Yeah, God, yeah. I you remember when I lived in Manly Vale? Yeah, yeah. I was like, like it sounds like an evil it's a laugh. Mating. Yeah, it's a. Ma- I'd say it's a mating noise. Cool. But remember when I listened? Remember when I lived in Manly Vale? Yeah, yeah. I had possums all around me all night yes. long. I got to know some real noises, and they were all possums. They were all different noises from possums. Possums mating, possums fighting, yeah. possums luring. I mean, I was up for most, I mean, that, that went on for about 30 minutes, so much so that I could get up, put my recorder, get yeah. my recorder, go outside and recorder. record it, <laughs> my recorder. Three blind mice. Yeah. And then um, and I was like, what the, I've never heard that noise before in my life. No. Oh, yeah, I have. I have heard it. Play it again. I want to hear it again. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, how have you been this week? What's been going on with you? I'm exhausted. I am socially exhausted. exhausted. Back from you went to Sydney. I went to Sydney last week, and then I got back on Monday, and my cousins arrived, and they just left. And that's five days they've been here. I'm exhausted, yeah. and I, I, you know, re- feel really bad because of how exhausted I am and was probably. Mm. Um. I just, I'm such an introvert mm. and yeah. I do so little yeah. with my life, as mm. you know. I live extremely simply and um, <laughs> I'm ha- really happy to live that way. Yes. So yes. going out all the time, talking yeah. a lot, mm-hmm. it simply exhausts me. Yeah. It's that that brain Yeah, I can relate so much. Yeah, it's a lot. When I went to Sydney for work um, a couple of weeks ago, I was the same. I was staying with friends and I was getting home and just I couldn't put – I just Mm. needed to go to bed at 7.30. I was like I just – I'm not used to – and because we live alone as well, we're not used to that constant having someone in our space, having to talk, having to be on, having to be aware of the energy you're putting out into a room. It's very exhausting. I, I hear you. You I need see a why. And a lie down. I, do. I just think, how do families do it? How do parents do it with a house full of people? I, uh, I, quite frankly, I don't know. I don't know either. I see now why. You, you know, when you used to, uh, for us, it was it was 
um, dad and a TV or a newspaper. Now it's um, phones or whatever. But I can see now when you go, dad, 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 and your dad's going, "Mm -hmm." Mm mm-hmm. And you're like, did you? Did you hear me? Yeah. I was doing sometimes. I was just like, mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. Couldn't, I'm, yeah. I'm absolutely spent. My eyes are sore. My throat is sore. Oh. And I'm not fluey. Yeah. Like, I'm breathing. Exhausted. I'm exhausted. I can't oh. wait to have a, a nap after well, you we can, record today. Yeah, well, you can go and have a nap after we record today. Oh. You're allowed I mean, to. I'll be good. I may never wake up until our next record. Oh, Who knows when that is? That's that sounds delicious. Well, you know what? I'm excited because um, we do have something really fun to do this weekend we that do. I booked in for you, me, and another friend. It's a beautiful um, jazz club, yes. and you know I love jazz music, and you know I love jazz clubs, as do you. Yes. So it's so wonderful that we found can't this wait. one. The two women that are singing are doing. Are singing two of my favorite artists' songs, so you better sleep. You better literally after this go to go to bed. Put your set your alarm for four thirty tomorrow afternoon. Yep, for jazz time. For jazz, jazz I'm time. I'm gonna get my hands out. Do Good. jazz hands. Good. The whole all the way into the jazz club. Great. That sounds good. Yay. How's your week? My week's been really good. Um, I've got. Can I just a- say? Sorry. Can I just um interrupt? Sorry. Please. And can I just say that I absolutely adore all the people that I've just spent time with. I don't want to sound in any way like I'm a whinger. No. I'm so blessed to have the people that I have in my life. Um, I they blame it all on myself, my exhaustion, not anyone else. No, they know that as well. And I know you beat yourself up about it and you shouldn't yeah, be exhausted. Yeah, and I shouldn't, but way, yeah, yeah. I just wish it didn't. I wish I wasn't so exhausted. Yeah, that's okay. You're old. <laughs> True. There is nothing else to say. Uh, no, Your well, turn. I've gotten over a really nasty cold that I had mm. during mm. my birthday, which was fun, um, yeah. and didn't have COVID, had to get the COVID test, which is so fucking uncomfortable, mm. just quietly. And they don't call it a job for nothing. <laughs> oh, that was awful. Uh, and just starting to feel like myself again after, you know, nearly two weeks, which is um, we couldn't record last week because I sounded like a, a truckie who's just a truck driver. smoked a packet of Winnie Blues. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, no. But I've watched a lot of television over that time. Um, I bet you have. And... I watched. Oh, you've Son put of... your. Sorry. Yeah. I'm just looking at your uh, behind you there. You've popped your thing back behind in the in the hallway. I, have. I thought you changed that. Why no, do you I keep didn't. moving that? You know what I'm like. I move my furniture around every day. For our lovely listener, it's Annie's coat rack in her new place. It's a great mm. coat rack, actually. I really um, like it. Yeah. And I walked in and it was in there at the, where it is right now. First yeah, time, yeah. I'm like, well, that's a good spot to put it. Next time I came in, it was in another spot. <laughs> Not as good, but it's still a good spot. Yeah. Now it's gone back to a good spot. Well, maybe you got inside my head a little bit subconsciously and I was like, oh, I should maybe put it back. Yeah, you liked oh, it back sorry there. sorry about that. No, yeah. that's okay. Um, it's in a I've, good spot. Yeah, so I've watched, um, I watched Son of Sam. The new Sam. Oh, is it a series? Yeah, Sons of Sam, I should say. The new yeah, the new Netflix um, about, you know, the serial killer. Yeah. Is it good? It's really good. Yeah, yep. Okay. I'll give it a go. Just a just a guy who was a um 
you know, not a policeman, just a dog with a bone, just like, nah, you've got, that's not, that's not the guy, that's not the story. There's more people operating this whole thing mm, and right. he was able to kind of uncover more and get the police to relook at it and stuff. So it's very good. And then I also watched the Elvis Presley documentary, which I told you to watch because um, we have, well, you, I, I had remembered that you didn't like Elvis. Oh, that's a big call. I hate Elvis. <laughs> Let's just say what it is. All right, but that you hate Elvis. And um, so I, I, I messaged you one night after a couple of vinos and perhaps yes. a little bit of wacky tobacco. A bit of edibles <laughs> that were smoked. And, um, and I just was like, God, Elvis, God, he's good looking. God, he's a good looking man. Um, know, really you, bad you actually messaged too. me. Mm. Oh, right. I did not yeah. know that. No. Um, never looked that hard. Mm. Um, you messaged me, go, and voice message mm. going, he's, he's so good looking. And I'm like, he isn't anymore. <laughs> he was good looking. Yes. Let's get the past tense happening, please. I know. I sent you my, my Reminds voice. Reminds me of a friend. Nice. Who um blonde curly hair, big blue eyes, and someone said to her once, "I said I never told you you look like Marilyn Monroe," and she goes, "What dead?" Has <laughs> <laughs> a point. She has a point. But look, even if you don't like Elvis Presley, you love music, yep. and that kind of where it. that music has come from. And you know, it's true. He stole he stole everything from, um, yes, you know, gospel really from James Brown, from all of those people watching that stuff, kind of. You know, going to gospel churches, being the only white guy in a gospel, black gospel church, um, and taking from, you know, a, a lot of different styles of music mm. and, and putting it together and kind of coming up with his own little thing. And, you know, I learned the other, I learned also watching that, you know, the, the front man, the idea of a front man, you know, they say mm. like a front man of a band. Mm. That actually comes from um, gospel choirs so the front man is normally is what they call the preacher at the um mm -hmm. in choirs and that's where that comes yeah. from front man yeah, of the yeah, band. Well, I didn't know you that know, they used to they used to have the big bands mm. um and the singer was never important they were part of the orchestra yeah. of the band yeah they were not out the front, front yeah. yeah so front man was yeah a relatively new thing to last century Getting all the, um, getting everyone vibed and pumped. Yeah, the hype man. We hype call man. that today. <clears throat> but um, yeah, and they also show this amazing band called the Prisoners, and um, they would go into. They realised that in prison there were a lot of met black men who were amazing gospel singers and amazing singers. Bet. So Sun Records signed a deal with these four prisoners called the Prisoners, and they are they were amazing. Absolutely mm. incredible. Uh, Why aren't they on our radios? Yeah, well. Then I mean, that's the, the, the biggest problem I have with Elvis and all of that was that, you know, he was one white person in a massive black church. Imagine that entire congregation seeing him mm. become what he became yeah. with their music. Yeah. Like just the frustration. It, you know, I watched a really interesting little TikTok the other day and it showed all these women, girls, mm. in an audience. Did you see it? The girls no. in the audience. And they were um, watching Bandstand. They watched this song. You'd know the song. It was something like, it wasn't Repetite, but, you know, because right. that was by um, someone we know. But it was, 
Um, I will find it and send it to you. And it was just the girls' reactions. They would not clap. They would not sing along. They would not do anything because the song that they went there to what, to, you know, they loved this song so much. They were seeing it for the first time sung by who sang it. It was a black guy. Right. And they were just so appalled that their, oh. their song had was being sang by a black person. Right. And they just refused to, you know, it was awful to watch. It was, yeah, and it's right. amazing that we have that footage yes to watch it from the 50s from the 50s yeah right wow yeah so you know there's just so much and and I think still to this day that there are you know people um appropriating black music yeah and becoming so much bigger than the artists that they've stolen from yeah yeah I mean but it's like anything creative right it's you everything's borrowed everything is borrowed absolutely it is somewhere else you know I just think that there's that that particular yeah, you know, I mean that was blatant. Yeah, yeah, it was it so, was a, and they, they yeah. it's yeah, yeah. And he was I mean, open about it too. He said, "Yeah, I would go and watch James Brown and stand on the side of you know backstage and watch how he would move on stage." And I thought, well, I could do that, you know. Yeah. And all he needed to do is, yeah, you know, it's fine. It's it's inspiring. You 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 copying someone that you think is amazing, but it's how he was catapulted yes. because of it. Yeah, because he and was James white Brown and he was hot. Was, yeah. Yeah, so well, because he was white, number yeah. one, you know. Yeah, and a predator because he did meet mm. um, Priscilla, Priscilla when she was fourteen. So, oh, um, so yeah. Then I watched Elvis and Me because I hadn't watched that movie for so long. Yes, and that was weird watching it as a forty-six-year-old yeah. woman. Yeah, because I remember watching it when I was probably fifteen or sixteen and thinking, "Oh God, that would be so great!" Like having this pop star be so in love with you and oh she's so lucky and her parents are so hard on her like why don't they just let her go (laughs) now I'm watching it going he was 24 now I'm watching it going oh my goodness absolutely she's not going to that Elvis Presley's house if that was my daughter yeah so anyway Wow, yeah, good yeah. shows, good shows. I'm keeping up with my Mayor of Easttown oh, and that's my good. Handmaid's Tale is out, the new season. I'm up to episode five on that. I um, started that last night, Handmaid's Tale. Really good season but it's a, a whole new season. Like you really are seeing different landscape in this one. So, yeah, yeah. Um, Does June still, get a break? Still frustrating as fuck. Does she get? <laughs> she needs a others. fucking break. Someone give the girl a break. Like she just. Yeah, no. You know what? It just someone. Oh, well, someone that we know, you and I know, um, Nelly, who we've had Ooh. on our podcast, Nelly yeah. Thomas. I was talking to her on the phone about it the other day, and she said, "You know, I wonder how many people in Australia liken it to, you know, what's happening to." A refugee, refugees, in, yeah. mm. and I went. Oh my god! I hadn't really mm. thought, you know, because we were talking about the particular episode that we'd just watched, and yeah. um, the girls had to escape in something. And she was like, "Imagine the women and the children that have had to do almost identical things mm. to get to where they are now, and then be locked up mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. our country, a free country." Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I haven't even done that, Nelly. <laughs> like, I'm doing it now. Yeah. And I was like, but I'm thinking about all the other people in the rest of the world well, that have gone through. Sis, I'm thinking about yeah. all. Sis, come here. Come here. I'm thinking about all the other people in parts of the world 
who mm. are escaping persecution or whatever, trying to get, you know, to freedom or whatever, thinking that's so far away from us. It's not. Yeah, that's no, it's happening. Happening here. Mm-hmm. Plus, not to mention it happening, which we'll talk a bit about in my story today, but oh. the fact that we did that for centuries to Indigenous people who yeah, were prisoners geez. in their own bloody country. You know? Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Just what people have to go through. You know, The Handmaid's Tale is so depressing to watch. Very depressing. And just see these women who you've gotten to know so well, so, so well, and you see their backstories in flashbacks and everything. Sis, come here. Come here. What's this? Now she feels guilty. (laughs) Okay, I've got a chick in the now. Go, chick in the now. C-H-I-C-K, in the now. Yeah, times two today. C-H-I-C-K-S, in the now. No, Chicks. doesn't work. Uh, no, nah, it doesn't work as good, does it? Who you got? Um, Their names are B and Joe. B and okay, Joe. They come from <laughs> B and Joe. Um, they come from Brisbane. They mm. call it by its original name, Meanjin uh-huh. or Mianjin. Uh-huh, yes. And they have a wonderful profile on Instagram called Dreamtime Aroha. Oh. And I've been following them for a little while now oh, okay. and I am obsessed with them. Yeah. I think you all will all absolutely love them. They are a black-owned store yep. and they make Indigenous babies. Dolls and they are adorable. They sell these dolls and they little baby dolls. Oh my god, they are amazing! And they've got all their little, um, you know, makeup done on their faces and their arms. And yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, they do their hair with big afro. Oh my god, they are the most adorable black babies you've ever seen. Got a kid, and your kid likes dolls, and boys and girls love yes. dolls, love their babies. Really do think about getting them a black baby because oh, they are so, so beautiful and they always put up photos of these um, kids with their dolls and they're mm-hmm. all just so happy with their babies. Anyway, not only oh. that, they are educating me so much and I do chat with them. We've just started chatting through um, our direct messages that they really make me laugh. They yeah. are teaching me things. Their latest post is a map of Australia, mm-hmm. which has all of the capital cities with their names, their original names on them. Yeah. And it just says, you know, all our capital cities had names long before 1788. Mm-hmm. So it's good to learn and use them. I thought, wouldn't that be wonderful if we did use them? I've actually asked them to come on our show. Awesome. So hopefully we will have an episode with them on. Fantastic. They've said they would love to. Great. So Love I said it. to them, oh, we're thinking, oh, can, do we have to Zoom or will we have be able to do the um, in studio with them? And I said, where are you based? And she replied, I mean, we're in Manjin. Wow, that's and so I cool. And I had to look that up and that's, went, oh, Brizzy. That's so cool. Isn't that cool? It's like, like place so names. Really, you know that the woman is. that we had? Yeah, exactly. The postal service. She, yeah, I think maybe I started following them through her because right. I talked to her too. Great. And they, yeah, they just, they really are, and they make me laugh. They just did a, a, a post 
with Kirk's lemonade, just a photo of Kirk's lemonade. Yeah. It says only black families will understand that when you were sick all of this was medicine. And it isn't just black families because no. me too, I commented this was in our house as well and you always have to have it flat. Flat. You'd have to flat. shake it. Yeah, you have to shake it. Shake it. We used to pour it in and out it of the cup. Flat, yeah. Until it went flat. Yeah. I mean, it used to make me want to be sick all the time. Home, You get flat lemonades, just sugar. Oh, God, it was good. It was great, wasn't it? God, it was Fixed good. Fixed so, right up. Dreamtime underscore Aroha, A-R-O-H-A. Mm-hmm. They are our chicks in the now. They are. They said they would love to be on our show, so oh. hopefully they will be on soon. Um, I adore them. I think you should all go and follow them. They Unreal. they will teach you a lot of things. If you have children or grandchildren, please think about buying one of these dolls. They are. When you see them, you'll see just how beautiful they are and the love that they've put into them. So oh, that's fantastic. Um, yay. Chicks clap, in the clap, now. Clap. We salute you. Okay, so today, Ms. Jones. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry, listeners, that would have hurt their ears. Yeah. Today I'm going to tell you um, the story of Lillian May Armfield. Lillian, I love the name Lillian. We don't have enough Lillians in the world, do we? Yeah. So Lillian May Armfield was born in Mittagong, in New South Wales on the 3rd of December 1884 to George and Elizabeth. Now, fun fact, we're going to go, we're going to sidetrack a little bit, but we'll come back to Lillian, but this is important too. Okay. She is, um, well, she was actually a direct descendant from the First Fleet. So her great... <gasps> Grandfather, oh. her great great grandfather was James Roos. Do you know about James Roos? James Roos Drive. There you go. If you live in New South Wales, you would know Sydney, James Roos Drive. Drive. And they always mention it on the traffic chopper. They do. Now, uh, James Jan- Roos Drive, you'll find his back <laughs> right up to Strathfield. <laughs> so, James. Find an alternative route, please. <laughs> You know, they talk like you can't understand a thing they're saying. But you know what? The one, the one here, and it took me ages. We'd never been. I actually saw it for the first time with you. It was Coral Creek Drive. Coral Creek Road. Coral Creek, that's Coral Rock Creek Road. <laughs> when we went out to Williamstown one day, remember I went, yeah. oh, my God, that's Coral Creek Road. You went, what? And I was like, that's the chopper they talk about, like James Roos Drive. <laughs> Coral Creek Road. Um so James, alternative routes backed up. Yeah, backed up. So James Roos, uh, he was a convicted uh, convict, and he was um, convicted because he broke into a shop in England and he stole some watches, I think. Uh, and once convicts had done their time and they had, um, you know, finish their sentence, they were allowed a piece of land to cultivate. And yeah. James Roos was the first convict to be granted land and his piece of land was in Parramatta. So yeah. um, James Roos Drive goes right through Parramatta, right next to Parramatta. So James yeah. met uh, a woman called Elizabeth who was also a convict and she also later became the first female convict to be awarded full freedom and emancipation. 
Pardons were passed to convicts who didn't re-offend and who could show great initiative and who would contribute to the future of the settlement. So James and Elizabeth got married. Now it's really, really important to note that even though the convicts, I mean, they were granted this land, they were they were encouraged to develop the settlement um, and, um, you know, get the sort of colony happening, we have to mention that obviously the clearing of this land for agriculture meant that they were encroaching on Indigenous lands mm. already. They were encroaching on access to food sources. Um, they were ignorant about the longevity of Indigenous spirituality, history and connections to the land. They decimated sacred sites um, yeah. and they restricted people, Indigenous people, from entering areas that were essential to men's and w- women's business. So for the Darug people in that area, in Parramatta, um, it was an almost instant, overnight, sudden breakdown in culture and loss of land mm. and there was little compensation mm. offered. Um, mm. And these stats are just incredible. So from 1788 to 1840, 80,000 convicts arrived in New South Wales. By 1850, the non-Indigenous population of New South Wales had risen to 200,000 people. So I think the boats stopped coming in 1840 and then the population grew then to 200,000. In 1788, the Indigenous population was 770,000 and by the 1900s it had fallen to 119,000. Is that incredible? It is incredible. Just when you when you think about it in numbers like that, it's just yeah. it's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking, and it's just a, a sh- mm. can I say a blight on our history? It is. It is. It a is, blight isn't it? on our history, and we need to know these kind of things, and we need to be ashamed that yeah. they happened that way. Exactly. Exactly. That the progress had to annihilate humans that way Mm, mm. it is it just didn't have to be like that no it didn't it didn't so I just wanted to mention that because it's important in this story especially when we're talking about you know convicts and settlements I think it's important to also mention that hey if you're enjoying this episode which we know you probably are let's face it um can you do us a favor and subscribe Mm. review us Mm. what else evie give us five stars oh five stars please thank you follow us on the instagrams as well because um when we remember we do put updates there we do chick street underscore podcast that's it and um if you want to email us you can my at gmail.com the end okay so james Roos's daughter elizabeth had a son called george and that was lillian's grandfather George got married, had six children of his own, um, one of which was Lillian's dad, who was also called George. Lillian's dad got married to another Elizabeth. They moved to Berrima oh. and they had Lillian Berrima. and five other children. So in Berrima? In Berrima, yeah. I love Berrima. Yeah, near Cooma. It's um, New South Wales kind of um, it's so You would love Berrima. It's beautiful. It is so beautiful there. We went to a place, me and Angie went to a place called Dogwood, oh. which was just a house, that, like an Airbnb, yeah. and it, it accepted dogs. It was such a fun place. But the little town, it's so beautiful, but they still have a functioning jail there. Do they? 
Mm, they do, and you could. There was parts of it you just couldn't go near. Wow. But the town is amazing. I remember Berima well because Sissy ate a bee while we were at a cafe. She just ate a bee. Oh no! And we did were it, so freaked out. Did it bite? Did nothing. it? Nothing. Okay. Nothing. No, nothing. Straight, it's Sissy. Straight in and out. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So Berima's beautiful. So. It is said that due to Lillian's convict past um, and that the fact that she came from really good stock, that she was able stock. to use this strength and tenacity mm. to become the first female police officer appointed in Australia and also the first female police detective. Oh, Wow. Wow. And it's also said that she probably was the first female detective in the world. Wow. Possibly. Don't That's quote cool. me on that. But I've, that I, have heard, I have read that <laughs> in some things. Is. Yeah, All I've right. heard that in some things. So growing up, Lillian was gentle, caring, um, and she just genuinely wanted to help others. She didn't take any nonsense from anyone. And according to her family, she could look very intimidating and tough. Um, but her toughness, though, was matched with a dry sense of humour and she had a smile that would win over many. Mm. She and her brothers and sisters grew up with the belief that there were different domestic roles for boys and girls, which was very true of the time. Um, manual training and labouring was offered to the boys and Lillian and her sisters learned household chores and skills. But Lillian's mum also strongly believed that her daughters should be educated so that they could contribute to the world and her and her sisters were taught to read and write and also some mathematics so from a very early age Lillian learned that girls were just as capable as boys good they are they are and they are it's not (laughs) not clear how much of her convict past she actually knew about because at the time it would have been kept a secret from her um, and she would have her parents would have kept it a secret from her and from everyone else because having a convict in the family was definitely Mm. seen as a bit of a um a stain on your on your on your past so in 1907 Lillian decided to move to the big smoke she moves to Sydney, which is quite a daring decision for a young woman. Um, and her brothers and sisters actually remained in the country, so she was the only one that decided to move to Sydney. Uh, mm-hmm. And she got her first job working as a nurse at Callan Park Hospital for the Insane. We know that one. We do we? know that one. So Evie and I used to go to Callan Park, take our dogs there, um, yep. All the time. It's beautiful grounds. Stunning. Um, yep. There's about 30 odd buildings that make yeah. up um, the old hospital, uh, and it's located in Lilyfield uh, in, um, yep. in Sydney. So, just near Balmain. Um, and the hospital is all still there. Yeah. Uh, it's disused. Some of it is still being used. Yeah. Um, but all the buildings are still there, so you can look all into the windows. You can, and it's, Amazing. And it's freaky deaky. Um, So, yeah, it had been an insane asylum up until uh, 1994 when it became Mm. Roselle Hospital and then in April 2008 all of the uh, hospital services and patients were transferred to Concord Hospital. Um, The Callan Park Provisions Act restricts future use of the site um, to only health, tertiary education and community uses only. It's currently the home of the College of the Arts and also New South Wales Ambulance Headquarters. The AMBOs are there and also um, they have, 
right next to it, which is in the same grounds, is all the rehab, like rehab um, detox for um, addiction. Yes, they do. They do. And the television and series people. Love Child and Doctor Doctor was yeah, that filmed was filmed there. there. Well, we got a bit um, tricked because I don't know if it was you. But yes, looking, looking through, through the, the windows, window. we're like, oh, look how they've just left it. <laughs> like it's still in the fifties, and it wasn't. It was the set. <laughs> <laughs> it was great though. It sort of was great little yeah, um, slippers next to a bed. And, yeah, yeah. We were like, oh my God, it looks so real. Just got it walked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they really got it right for that that time. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Lillian's role at the hospital was to work closely with women who were sent to Callan Park um, where she would observe them, she would supervise them. Um, they were known as the city's wayward girls and they would be sent there either by the, their family families or by the police. They were usually picked up on the streets and charged with vagrancy um, if they couldn't provide the officers with details of their work or where they lived. Some of the women were prostitutes, um, others were just known to simply associate with gangs and others just didn't conform to society's expectations of respectability and were sent to the asylum for moral reprogramming. So a lot of suffragettes were sent to Callan Park. Oh, right. Um, and also unmarried pregnant women could also find themselves sent to the asylum um, right up until the 1970s. Wow. So Lillian had to make sure she maintained a strong um, and often unrelenting disciplinary approach to dealing with difficult cases at Callum Park. So she had to put on a really tough demeanour to be taken seriously by these um, female patients, some of whom mm-hmm. were a lot older than her and had knew the city so much better than she had, you know, growing up in the country. So she really had to kind of, you know, um, step up to the plate. So as well as working at at the asylum, she also lived on site as well. So she really, all she did was live and breathe the asylum um, up until 1915. She was on a break one day um, and she came across an ad in the newspaper for two positions that were advertised for women to join the newly formed women's police. So to join the police force, the ad stated that women had to be under 30, they had to be unmarried, with a fair education and of good character and address. They also needed to be capable of of enduring hardship and fatigue um, in the execution of their duty. Women with a nursing background or women who had been working in asylums were preferred as they had experience handling difficult patients and inmates and working long, gruelling hours, which would ready them for shift work, foot patrols and lengthy investigations. <laughs> I'm just wondering what a kind of an amazing person even takes a job like that. It, you just know what everything I mean? like, about that job it says hard, awful. <laughs> it really does. And uh, there is a certain type of person that really puts their hands up. There are special people that that put their hands up. People who become nurses and police, you know, for the right reasons. Yeah. And yeah. you know, um, correctional officers or firefighters yeah. and things like they really are a special breed of people. Yeah, they really are. And a bit of a side note. Policing in Australia began with the Royal Navy Marines who arrived aboard the second uh, fleet, not the first fleet, the second fleet, and Governor Philip realised that he needed to start policing the colony. So the first night watch um, of policemen was entirely made up of well-behaved convicts 
and they each wow. were armed with a baton. So it's pretty ironic that the convicts then had to become the policemen because they, that's all they, that was here. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, so Australia was watching what the rest of the world was doing um, and women in policing in New South Wales was, was introduced because it was starting to be introduced around the world, although um, in other parts of the world the women were mostly volunteers um, and they didn't have any arresting powers or anything like that. So um, in, in New South Wales it was introduced due to the need for police to improve relations with young street girls. So female victims and witnesses would also be better assisted if they could talk to female officers um, and yeah. particularly when it came to sexual assaults. Yeah. So indecent assault on a young girl under the age of 16 years was the most common yeah. charge against male offenders appearing in Darlinghurst Jail from 1913 to 1914. Get oh, that's this. awful. An indecent mm. assault conviction usually carried with it a sentence of just 12 to 18 months in prison. But women's rights campaigners wanted greater prevention of assaults by a police force targeting it as a serious crime. If this was to happen, women had to be at the forefront of preventative work, and that meant employing female police officers. Yep. Um, and also, like most opportunities at this time um, that women were afforded um, because men had to go to war. So men were off joining the war and yeah. they needed to fill the depleting ranks of the time. So yeah, um, yeah. Even if it was just with two women police officers, I mean, you got to start somewhere, right? Mm, so mm. in her job interview notes, she was described, Lillian was described as being five foot seven, 81 kilograms with light brown eyes, brown hair and a fair complexion. She was very intelligent, tactful, shrewd, capable, character undoubtedly good and very suitable candidate. <laughs> She sounds like a good woman. She does. So 400 women applied and in 1915 Maud Rhodes was introduced as Special Constable 64 and Lillian Armfield became Special Constable 65. They were both Constable. appointed. Constable. <laughs> they were both appointed on probation and had to learn everything on the job. So there was no police academy. It was just... You, wow! You got I didn't a, know that. No, you got a job. So on the job training, that was it. Uh, oh my god! And everything that Lillian did was her own initiative. There was no precedent to what wow. she was doing. Wow! She came up with the ideas, all of the ideas on her own of how to deal with women and police women. Yeah. So Lillian says, I had plenty of reminders that policewomen were still on trial in the public mind. There were no precedents, no one already paving the way. So Lily and Maud were required to keep watch over the brothels and the wine shops that attracted vulnerable young women. They would patrol public parks each evening and enforce the rules concerning pedestrian, pedestrian traffic. So right. jaywalking? Yep. Don't know. So Lillian was at the front line of preventative measures to reduce the numbers of young women who got mixed up in prostitution and charged with public drunkenness or assaulted in parks late at night. Her main beat was the poor neighbourhoods of eastern Sydney. <laughs> the poor neighbourhoods of eastern Sydney. It's just a they funny They really were once upon a time, weren't they? Yeah. So Woolloomooloo, Darlinghurst, Surrey I was going to say Paddington. Paddington. The worst places to live. Yeah, this was considered the most no toilets. Poor. Yeah, 
the most poor, poorest area of Sydney at the time, and um, <laughs> one house. If only we bought a house. Yeah, one one house could have anywhere up to five different families living under yeah. one roof. Yeah, they were really. So uh, Lillian was Lillian and Maud, I should say. They were um, both unarmed. They weren't allowed to carry guns. Not until the 1970s, women police officers weren't allowed to carry guns. And she also had no powers of arrest at the start of her career. Um, she would have to try to detain the perpetrator and wait for her male counterparts to arrive to actually arrest them. Can you oh. imagine? Yeah. Like, oh, sorry, excuse How me. How is she detaining them? Can you just, if you can just wait here a second, there's a, there's a man yeah. coming to do the job that I am not allowed to do. But I'm but not if allowed just, to do. If you could yeah. just wait here, that would be great. How did she detain them? She would have had to I'd, physically restrain mm, them. Yeah. So it was very dangerous and she was left in many very vulnerable situations, um, but she thought that if she could start to befriend some of these sex workers um, and some of the women of the street, she could get intel on the brothel owners and the madams. Um, and that was a unique skill that she had over the male officers because none of the none of the brothel workers, none of the prostitutes wanted to talk to um, no, male officers. Wouldn't. So no. Lillian was paid six shillings and six pence, which is roughly $40 a day, which is pretty good. For back then? For back then. Don't you reckon? Mm. 40 bucks a day, 1915. So after her year's probation, uh, she was enrolled as a special constable and she was obliged to sign an agreement with the then Inspector General of Police, binding her to the same jobs and disciplines as her male colleagues, but she wasn't provided a uniform. She wasn't paid for overtime or any expenses. She received no superannuation and no compensation for any injuries she sustained in the line of duty. Oh, of course. She was, thanks for your thanks for your work. Thanks though. for your work. And we'll steal your ideas too that you come up with. Yeah, that binds you to the same jobs and disciplines as your male colleagues. Yeah, that get all the pay and the benefits. And the nice crisp uniform. And the um, notoriety. And the notoriety. So Lillian was responsible for putting together her own uniform and every day that she worked she wore a string of pearls and she also had an assortment of hats that she would use for disguises. She would patrol (gasps) the streets of Sydney at a time when Sydney was full of violent crimes and Mm. criminals, figures like Tilly Devine and Kate Lee. Um, Well, working undercover or not even undercover, just not having a uniform actually Mm. would have worked for her in her favour. Yeah, exactly. Well, she kind of went on to say that, that it was actually – Good that she um, a good thing yeah and 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 then you know then they they introduced a lot of plain clothes detectives you know afterwards because it was that, yeah. yeah um yeah so this is the time of Tilly Devine and Kate Lee and lots of rapes lots of murder human trafficking it was at an all time high so Tilly Devine who is Australia's probably most notorious brothel owner she had about um anywhere between 15 to 20 brothels that she ran in Darlinghurst and Surrey Hills. She would often wait on Central Station for young runaways from the country um, oh. who were travelling by uh, into Sydney by train. So Lillian would try to beat her to it and she would set out at dawn to intercept these girls and to make sure that these young girls knew that what Tilly was offering wasn't good. good. She warned the young girls about being caught up in prostitution, drugs, 
uh, and also the dangers of bullet wound injuries and razor slashings. <laughs> Good to know. You want to avoid those if you can. Yeah. So she would also often be enlisted to help with runaway girls. Um, so parents would call the police station with a description of their child or the young girl who'd run away. Mm. And Lillian would set off trying to find them. Um, she'd only be armed with a picture of what she thought they might look like and how she the girls had been described. Because Lillian had so many good relationships with the women on the streets, she was usually able to find them in a few hours um, wow. before they had a chance to change their clothes or even dye their hair. One of her more unique assignments was to catch fortune tellers. So... In the early 20th century, fortune-telling was prohibited under the New South Wales Police Offences Amendment Act of 1908. It was based on an old English Elizabethan law which coupled fortune-telling and witchcraft as superstitions and troublesome to the community. So if you were caught fortune-telling, you could serve anywhere from one week to three months in jail and Lillian would often go undercover to try to catch them in the act. She would wait outside of a house that she was suspicious of and she'd look at who would walk in and who would come out. If it was young women who a lot of the times would walk in, she would notice the difference in their um, demeanour if they left. Uh, either they were, you know, really excited or they were really unhappy because they were told bad news. Um, and Lillian hated them. She just thought that they were just the scum of the earth, the worst of the worst, because they were giving these women, basically putting these, you know, sending these women um, off on tangents that just weren't true. And a lot of it was leading to suicide. So the young women of the time were being told their husbands and boyfriends were cheating and they would go and poison themselves in the parks, in Hyde Park. Um, Why wouldn't they just go and poison the men? Well, true. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been easier, wouldn't it? And Lillian often joked that if they were that good, they should have known that she was a policewoman all along. Yes, that's very true. Yeah. I love I love those scamming videos, you know, where they uh, they say, do you know this person? They show a video, a, a picture of them. They're like, yes, they've passed on. And you're like, no, that's me <laughs> as a child. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so as well as that, she'd also do more dangerous undercover work, trying to catch any um, of the cocaine dealers. And a lot of the women were rise, like rising up in the underworld crime figures. So you had... Tilly Devine, you had um, uh, Kate Lee, you had Nellie Cameron, um, and there was also this uh, woman, infamous woman called Botany May. (laughs) Oh, Botany. Yep, Botany May. Botany May. Right, sounds like a drag queen. (laughs) Botany May. So Botany May was, um, she was a cocaine dealer and she was very well known in Surrey Hills and Lillian worked out that Botany May would hide her cocaine in the outhouse, so in the toilet at the back. So Lillian just went on a stakeout and Gross. she would, yeah, in the walls. She used to pull Ew. out bricks in the walls and put it in the walls. So Pretty Lillian cocaine. night after night would go on a stakeout to try and catch her, um, mm. you know, retrieving the cocaine. And one night she saw her do it. She was completely alone. She had no backup, no weapons but she thought she needs to strike now. So she goes, to, knocks on the front door to um, alert Botany May that the police were watching her and she was busted. Botany May runs to the kitchen, grabs a hot iron, comes out 
and starts running after Lillian. Lillian hitches up her skirt, runs for her life, and she's <laughs> narrowly missed by the hot iron um, that Botany mm. May threw at her and she was later charged and put in jail after the Botany. men arrived, you know. Did they get all the bricks of coke? And they got the cocaine and probably had a great evening. Had a big night. Yeah. <laughs> So parks at the time were also really, really dangerous. So Sydney has, for those people who know Sydney, a lot of beautiful parks, Hyde Park, Moore Park, Centennial Park. There's a lot of parks in Sydney, big, big park. I mean Melbourne too, but um, at the time there were a lot of women who um, were walking through the parks to walk home from work. So Lillian would often escort the women um, through the parks. Oh, and good on And one her. night... Um, a male police officer was actually shot by a thief. So the thieves used to go around the park and get either the women or young couples and rob them. And um, Lillian was put on the case. So she suggested the best way for the police to be able to catch this thief would be to pose as a couple to lure the thief in. So Mm -hmm. she said, well, look, I am probably the best suited to play the role as the female. Um, but no, she was tasked instead with making one of the male officers look like a woman. Why go to the effort? So she had to style up one of the male officers to look like a woman. It's like she works on the bloody footy show. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. So Why go to all the effort when there's women? There's a woman right there. But they were like, oh, we we can't put her in the line of, you know, the, the, you know, too dangerous, too dangerous. So oh, anyway, right. it ended up working and after a couple of nights, one evening they um, the thief attempted to rob them and they struck it lucky and they got in. But it was all her, um, it was all her idea. So uh, by the 1920s, Zillian wanted to become a detective and mm-hmm. the, the crime scene was changing. It was, uh, you know, lots more organised crimes, razor gangs, all of that stuff. So um, to become a detective, one thing she had to do was to memorise the, um, they called it the rogues gallery, and it was basically two albums of mugshots. So mugshots had just started to come into um, policing. So, you know, you see all those old mugshots, you know, of yeah. like Lily Devine or whatever. So she would have to memorise those oh, and right. then yeah. go out onto the streets. And basically that was their kind of identity kit so that she would mm-hmm. walk around the streets now um, after being allowed to look at these um, lookbooks. Mugs. What are they called? Yeah, Mugs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so that she'd be able to um, to track them down. So Maud actually left the police force in 1919, um, but until that time, so in less than five years, Lillian's work had resulted in many successful investigations into runaways and fortune tellers. She had built a built a very strong rapport with girls and young women and their families living around um, the eastern suburbs and she'd made the work of the women's police her own and started to change the culture of policing. Lillian persisted with her campaign for further appointments throughout the 1920s and eventually she had a small team of women working under her. Um, by the 1930s, Lillian worked with eight other female police officers. So surprise, surprise, Lillian was never really given adequate recognition during her career as a policewoman. Her role as detective detective wasn't formally recognised and unlike her male colleagues, her promotions were very slow. 
28 years would pass until she was eventually promoted to a special sergeant first class. 28 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she went on to be in charge of all of the New South Wales policewomen until her retirement wow. in uh, at the age of 65. Uh, and for most of her police career, it was known that she was the only New South Wales policewoman approved to carry a revolver. Wow. In 1946, she received the official acclaim for her life's work receiving the King's Police and Fire Service Medal. She was awarded the Imperial Service Medal in 1949 when she retired from the police service aged 65. In 2001, she was inducted into the Victorian Honour Roll of Women and um, there's the Underbelly Razor series, which I've just started watching again, includes her oh. as a storyline. So I watched that ages ago, but watching it again because it's the story of Tilly Devine and Kate Lee, their big mm. feud and also the Razor Wars, and it's mm. so good. Um, okay. And I'm going to watch it again. What are you watching it on? It's on Stan. On Stan, is it? Yeah. Oh, good. No ads. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So right. it's re- yeah, it's really good to watch again, and yeah. um, and to see her, and she's got her pearls on, and she's you know knows knows girls on the streets. Yeah, it's really it's really cool. Uh, and Lillian never married, and um, didn't have any kids, and she passed mm. away uh, at the Lewisham District. District Hospital on the 26th of August 1971, aged 86. Wow. She, um, a lot of friends and old colleagues attended her funeral at the Northern Suburbs Crematorium, and which included a police guard of honour. Wow. And that is a story of Lillian May Armfield. Armfield. Well, we salute you, Lil. Wow, what a, Lily. What a story. Like, what an incredible um incredible achievement that she's made throughout her life i know and never it's, heard it's... of her before why haven't we heard of her before <laughs> oh, exactly. we've heard of the two Wait. razor gang ladies mm. Mm. yeah we have but not the not the police but woman. not the hero of of mm. that time mm. who did so many amazing things i know came up with all these ideas yeah and was never really credited for them and the thing i think that i just always it still surprises me even though we've done 750 episodes that these yeah. women are doing like it's fir- their firsts you know their firsts yeah. in no precedence no precedence like nothing to go on just they are you the precedent are, yeah like you are now a police woman you're in charge of looking after these unruly girls girls what are you going to do about it and you know a lot of the time it's based on communication empathy compassion Mm -hmm. to get the results that they need you know and and it works oh yeah 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 incredible this is why we do this show Annette I know Yvette Leave it at that, shall That's we? That's it. <laughs> Bye. Look at you. You've got to the end. So if you're still listening, I'm just going to give you a few little credity bits. Executive producers of this podcast is me, Eva Jones, and, of course, Annie Potatoes. But we've also got Sam Peterson. He's our producer, our editor, our wine boy, our whipping boy. He does everything. And he's also got a great podcast called Confessions of the Idiots. You know, if you want to listen to us, we appreciate you. 
Follow us on Instagram at chickstreet underscore podcast. And you can email us at mychickstreet at gmail.com. <laughs>